Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. As we come to the end of the calendar year, we take the opportunity to reflect. We are joined by renowned agri-consultant Matt Ryan for a two-part interview. And on this episode, we discuss the challenges dairy farmers have faced through the decades and he considers are the current challenges, such as environmental policy and regulation, the greatest challenges that we face yet. Matt, you are extremely welcome to the Dairy Edge. Thank you very much, Emma Louise. Can you tell us, Matt, about your path that has led you to a career in dairy? It's so long ago, Emma Louise, I have nearly forgotten. But anyway, uh, yeah, in, uh, I was born in a place called Galvan Rare Cross, uh, County Limerick. I specify Limerick, it's a mile and a half from the border. I went to primary school in Rare Cross. I uh, didn't went to secondary school in June. Obviously, that era you went by bicycle. Um, I then, after leaving start, I, I suppose I had nothing lined up, and I went to, I got an agricultural scholarship to Paris Henry Agricultural College. Uh, then, while a lot of those guys in that era, dairy was just beginning to open, open up, a lot of the, my colleagues went and got dairy science uh, premium managers to UCC, but I went uh, accidentally or otherwise, I got a, a job as a laboratory technician in Unforest Luntis in the nematology department in Oak Park in 1963, and I spent one year there. Uh, an unusual experience. Nematology is associated with um, um, eelworm in Sugarbeet, and Sugarbeet was all the gorge on that era in that district. It's very interesting. Um, I looked at myself and I said, God, am I going to be doing this for the rest of my life? And then in 1964, which was only one year after, I had money saved because we hadn't a penny at home. Uh, I uh, went to college, uh, UCD. I had a very, I had to actually buy the matriculation. I had a very poor leave and stuff. And uh, yeah, so in 1969, I graduated from that after win, winning a few skippings along the way. So in 1969, believe it or not, it was, we were just heading into the boom times, or I wouldn't say boom times of dairy. And I started working, five of us started working as the agricultural advisors in, you know, under the Committee of Agriculture, Committee of Agriculture in Leash. And I stayed there until 1972, got a permanent instructor in Leitrim. And, you know, you would say, God almighty, why am I going to Leitrim? Actually, I worked in a pilot area in Carrigal, and it was a great experience. I got, I was standing on my own two feet. It was a really, yeah, it was a tremendous. It was a um, uh, pilot area where farmers got grants, believe it or not, in the present context for putting on lime, P and K. And it was very low administrative cost. Agricultural advisor signed off on it, which is a great thing for me. So then during that year, and, you know, Irish agriculture was only finding its feet, and the Kellogg Foundation was financing the education of people in around the world. And we, in the advisory service, they were given out around uh, 12 scholarships to go back and do a master's. And lucky enough, in, I think, I think it was uh, 1970, 72, I was only in one year. Um, actually, ironically, I was in Leitrim, I, I set up a, a machinery group, a kind of a discussion group. And one night in a pub in Carrigal, and I collected £2,000 then from to buy some back and things. But that's only a side. 
So then I did my master's, won another fist given during that period. Um, came, started, uh, came to Notre Prairie. Uh, in 1974, I think, and spent worked in the Boris of and Club Jordan, out in the office from 74 to 72. Ironically, I, I, our uh, Emily Louise, um, uh, former connection with your firm, uh, uh, Ty Comfress, um, told me there was two jobs going, one in, one in Torres and one in Nina. He said, I'll fix you up in a good area in Nina. So, and it happened to be you, he was living in your home farm or around your home farm at that stage. So then I, in 1972, I became a dairy specialist um, uh, with responsibility for promoting discussion groups. Um, really worked hard at that for maybe seven or eight years. Um, and then in 2002-ish, uh, I became program manager in dairy in, in Moorpark. And that took me up to retirement in 2009. Uh, I retired early, um, and since then I have been a private consultant on my own, running about five discussion groups and doing a fair bit, of, small bit of private stuff. And I have a new partner in now called Paddy Kelly, grateful entirely. And yeah, so I'm enjoying every minute of my life since I left Chagas. It has been tremendous for me. Yeah, so that's roughly a quick synopsis. Sorry, a quick synopsis but you you fitted uh, an awful lot in uh, Matt um, I mean if, if we look at it from a dairy perspective like you mentioned a career of roughly 40 years at Chagas and in excess of a decade of agri consulting since um, you know let's reflect on the challenges that you would have observed um, that dairy farmers have had to contend with um, in that time that have impacted on their farm businesses yeah, it's a good question, um, and uh, yeah, and funny enough, um, somebody like and you brought to my attention. Somebody brought to our attention the challenges now are climate change, rising energy, and input costs, food scarcity, rural decline, and staff issues, and of course there are more. You know, so then you equate them with the past and say, are they worse now than they were then? Look, some people kind of think they are. So I, I just uh, I, I think I'd put it in a, con- in a little context. Um, so like you know, like people must remember that say in 1916 uh, the average farm size was 14 hectares, and it's in 2010 it's 33. It's probably going up to 40 now. We had 4.2 million uh, cattle in the country, and we now in 2010 we had 6.6, and it's gone up to seven or eight now. So look, it's to that background. The other thing was uh, the small farm concept is really important. It came from the landlord background, yeah. So we had we had farmers that were afraid. They had uh, conservative attitudes, and from a sociological point of view, it's terribly important to to define how farming is seen in this community. So everything to a background when you're in farming revolves around being able to provide an income, to feed your family, educate your family, and um, dare I say, dress your family. Because way back, uh, the woman of the house was deemed to be responsible for the, uh, the children's presentation at mass and at school. And of course, that uh, reverb, uh, re- uh, turn back on the father if he wasn't providing, if he hadn't money, they look bad, you know. So it's to that background I'm saying that that's what 
causes stress, causes problems. And it's, maybe it's not as bad now, but it's still, it's still an issue. So the basic challenges then arose from um, all our my life, from, say, milk prices being low relative to cost, given a low income and very poor living expenses, you know, because they, they are for the family to live on. You had animal disease was a major issue. Whether you mightn't think it, but weather was a major issue then because we were saving hay. Um, personal health was a really major issue because people got TB, they got various uh, sicknesses and badly covered, and they were working ferocious long hours. Interest in became an interest rates in became an issue uh, in in the seventies, in the eighties, yeah. And environmental standards were still there. Maybe they were lax, but once we were in the EU, they were the drivers of the challenges. It's interesting, Matt, you, you talk about the, the interest rate of the 70s and 80s. And, you know, we would be quite used to a low level of interest rate at this point. But take us back there and, and what sort of interest rates were farmers exposed to? Yeah, so interest rates don't become relevant unless you have borrowed money, yeah? And so we joined the EU in 1973. We, we doubled our milk production uh, from 1979 or something like that. So with that went investments. All animals in, look, I was talking to a guy yesterday about, about in, when you raised this with me. And chaps, people came into family at 12 years old then, believe it or not, uh, because everybody had, a, even we had home, we had a man implied and we only had 10 cows at home. Labour was cheap. Very, very, very hard on labour. But and once you uh, came to twelve years of age, this man told me he was he went he became the farmer then with his father, and they let go the the work. So it it moved on from there to in the seventies, uh, so that we began to double cow numbers. You needed facilities. You needed to change your attitude to borrow money. Yeah. So. Um, so we're now driving on really fast. And there's a, there's a lovely saying goes, and it's still true. Uh, dairy farmers have a, a thing called reality bias. You know, th- th- we are exuberant people. And I'd say you nearly know from my, my excitement now talking to you, you know, anybody associated with dairy is exuberant generally. So we have, we have a kind of a reality bias, if you know what I'm getting at. So people made an exp- expand. They never say, say, see some of the pitfall. We'll get the money somewhere and we'll blah, blah, blah. You know, so, yeah, so that was just the driver. So, uh, so we arrived in, uh, in the EU and so all of a sudden quotas came in. Next thing, we're, we are restricted. We have made developments and we have made plans and so on, and um, quotas are in. And lo and behold, inflation is rampant and uh, interest rate. Interest rate goes to, they went to 23%. I, I remember it well because I was buying a house. I had bought a house, you know, and built a house. And there were really, really tough times, really tough. I couldn't tell you. It's estimated that about 7,000 farmers were, severely compromised in that era and um i was talking to michael burke about this too of ifa and he in reminiscing a neighbor of yours too and uh he he told me that uh, because ifa were very heavily involved in that era and sorting it out with the banks and they did a, a great service to the country now, there is no doubt in the way that the world um tom clinton eventually you know and he you know he put down the clean the boot like but there was about four t- 
four four and a half thousand four and a half to five thousand families really badly compromised and they um they so you could think the pressure they were under and i'll tell you a story about a family i had dealings with advisors then became very very important because you had to do farm plans for that seven thousand farmers to show that they could come out of this or get near coming out of that and there was a the banks did write off a lot of money or write off money on some farms and um so i'll tell you a story about one guy he he had he was new to the community that i was involved in he came from a different county and stuff like that and he got into financial trouble because he had come from a county got a farm from the land commission and um um, you know, all of a sudden found himself in financial trouble. So lo and behold, he had a very, very young family. He went, he milked his cows every morning and got a job with a well-known uh, company that made stats in the 80s in um, in this general area and went working there day in, day out. And his father, his family and children worked harder at home, his wife in particular. And lo and behold, there's a, there's a, his son is their family today after all that. And thanks to his, uh, his ability or resilience to take that option and pride, you know, because going, farmers going out to work was a big cut-off point on pride, if you know what I'm getting. It had an awful effect, you know, because people are talking about it in pubs and stuff. So that's a kind of a, a background to the interest rate thing. And, like, I was involved in several plans to save farmers and I I look on those chaps now and there's three farmers in particular not far away from here and the sons or grandsons of them farmers are terrific farmers so it was it's a it's a great story in terms of resilience and when the when the chips are down farmers they spend less they work harder and you know they're resilient to come out of any sort of would-be crisis. And and Matt, I, I mean, I know now the interest rate isn't comparable, but is there a similar story right now where farmers have made huge investment in the lead up to the abolition of quotas and, and since? Yeah, sure, they have. But um, farmers now are very well educated. Then, I, and I'm not, you know, farmers then had savvy um no education but they really had great savvy and uh, so now we have the education we have very very well educated we have um you know we have great research we have great uh, we still have um great um advisory service um and look at look at the animal health status of our herds now uh emma louise it's totally Different. I mean, health was a, you know, if, if um, you've got salmonella or TB, and like, sorry, I was talking to a bit yesterday, and he um, he was telling me, I was just uh, kind of putting this thing together, talk about animal health, <clears throat> excuse me, and this man had 10 cows, lo and behold, um, obviously it's way back, and the, the man, and it's a local vet here, went out, <clears throat> excuse me, and he had to put down nine of those cows with TB. Imagine nine of those cows. The man has only one cow left. If that isn't a challenge to overcome, that man is still farming. They're, they, they're farming about 70 or 80 cows now. Looking to joining the EU, you have mentioned it. How uh, much of a deciding factor was milk quotas in terms of how we farmed from the 80s up until 2015? Oh, sure, it had an awful influence. 
huge influence. Um, um, a lot of farmers, I mean, uh, a lot of farmers, I take one example, I'll mention his name, a fella called Lexi Bourne, a neighbor of yours, got a, a great fella. Is, um, he's, he, he worked on a guy called John Paul of Bellicrenog, who had been on one of the early trips to New Zealand. So the, it was one of the very, very early um, sheer milking setups that were in, in place. Um, John and Lexi, and then this farm outside Nina came up and Lexi leased that. And, you know, I mean, he was a brave man in 19, just on the year before Cortis came in, leased that farm and made a real go of it. Um, and uh, was restricted. Obviously, then you're restricted. And um, so how was he going to get on? He had, um, there's only one way to, to pay a, high, a reasonably high rents and that's dairy. And, um, he set about overcoming the challenges that were there. He's my model that I, if I ever look back on anything that happened, Lexi is uh, my model. And um, yeah, we did actually, ironically, we did, did a deal there on that farm to at least the cows in the early stage from the far, farmer in question because he would have to pay too much income tax. And he went from there, that farm is a model farm, still in, in that lease arrangement to this day. And there's a lot of people listening today that would have served the farm apprenticeship with Lexi. You're more or less what you're promoting now. And um, yeah, so he leased quarter, leased it very expensively. Um, you know, <laughs> you were supposed to lease the land with it. They, you know, people got over that. Paid, they paid fierce money for uh, for courses. We call it good farmers, and uh, it stood them in good stead. They they knew by doing the sums they'd make some little bit of money. Scale was was always cutting down on the overheads, and uh, yeah. So those farmers who leased in the in the in the eighties have come good. They overcame that through good knowledge, very very high quality farming and um, did their financials to know that it gave them a margin, even though other farmers would have thought it was lunacy. Yeah? And I, I guess if we bring things back to present time, Matt, um, you know, you mentioned things like climate change, rural decline and input prices, um, you know, and, and I suppose when we look at climate change, it really from a dairy farming perspective, it is the regulation and policy that is imposed uh, as a means of, um, I suppose, uh, stopping or slowing down the rate of climate change. Uh, I, on top of that, I would say there are possibly challenges that that are to the forefront of, of people's minds, like the limitations co-ops have to process new milk um and and also maybe you know alternatives to dairy products that that we're we're aware of you know is what we're facing now is this a bigger challenge that what you know you have um illustrated from the past or is it much of the same it's much of the same and i think we're in a better position to deal with it like if you think i a lot of people that maybe I have some people that are listening maybe will know like all, all our products in the in the 60s and 70s were go, or, were exported to England. And, you know, they weren't called John Bull for nothing, you know. And uh, they decided what money they'd give us. We were at the whim, whims of the UK for a market. And we were, we were in a very, very bad place. You know yourself, God, if you can't, if you weren't able to sell your cattle, and cattle, we were all mixed farms then, so the cattle was a major part of the the 
good income. So, yeah, so we were really, we were really struggling then uh, in our markets. We have, we have, we're markets all over the world now, uh, and I, we have a great product. I, I think we, 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 I, I, relatively speaking, I think we are, we have, can be as positive, a lot more positive than we, you know, we overcame some fierce challenges in the past, and now uh, I think we can. I, I'm not saying easy overcome it, but I'm very, very, very confident that we can overcome. I, I said to myself uh, two years ago, because obviously I'm in twilight of my years, I would love to be an agricultural back again, uh, starting now, because, you know, we have so much going for us. We have really so much going for us, you know. Okay, there is a type of quota there now, but we can, we have, um, we can improve cow uh, performance further you know all the things that dbi has delivered for us we can improve that a lot further consequently i think the stocking rate will get over that and um i you know i i, I really emphasize the reality bias that we have in dairy farming so that we you know maybe a little bit need to be a little bit more careful and concentrate on the things that we can now control if you know what i'm getting at. and matt um before we wrap up, you have boasted um, a lot of Fitzgibbon medals at the the start at the outset of this conversation. Many have tried tried and failed in in that feat. Um, you know, talked about the sport in in your life. We we've spoken to a few farmers who 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 really benefit from physical activity. Um, you know, and how did that work alongside um, your career at Chagas? I always claimed I was good at nothing, you know, but I worked hard at everything. Um, very, very poor hurdler and stuff like that. And I won a Limerick Senior. I won. I shouldn't tell anybody this. I won a Limerick Senior Championship in 1964, and I won an Arctic Prairie Junior Championship in 1994. Beaten in the county final, killed me in 1994. But uh, I made a huge effort. But uh, yeah, I loved. I love comp- comp- competition. I love putting in the effort. I was. I would be regarded as a poor hurdler. I. I had a very poor leaving start. I made, you know, I didn't let that hold me back. And uh, yeah, so uh, I think uh, people can, um, with determination, can get there, you know. So, uh, yeah, and I made a lot of friends. Very, very, very few enemies on the Harlem field, in case you think. Um, maybe a few in Tumivara, but anyway, I haven't time to tell you the story about them. But uh, yeah, so, but it, they, it was a major part of my life. Uh, I actually think I would have been a great hurdler. Except that when I was growing up, we hand milked, of course, and I was useless at it. But um, uh, we, we had this carry on of 12 hour milking, six o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the evening. Training would be half seven or eight. So your chances to get to get more training in time were nil on a bicycle. So if I only knew uh, then what I know now, that uh, 12, uh, a 16, eight hour milking interval gives you the same amount of milk as. Uh, as a 12-12, I would have been a lot better hurdler. When you're working hard, I think you need outlets. And I think uh, if farmers need anything, uh, they need outlets at present. I'll just tell you one story before I go. Um, I wonder, do people take as much holidays now as they should? But we, we always had hard times in at home. We have 10 cows. You, you have much of a living on that. But my mother and father always went on a holiday. That's a fierce important statement. I remember from the early 50s, my mother went to listen to Verna on her own. You couldn't, they, could, they couldn't go together, yeah? But they went on their own. 
And my father went to a, a cousin who was uh, involved in the criminal meat suppliers down in, in Waterford, my mother's cousin, actually. So that was, they went on holidays. And I'm saying that I'm saying it's fierce, fierce, fierce important that people have sport or have some outlets to go um, uh, for a break or go and to make absolutely certain they go for a, a break holiday. That has been a, a fascinating conversation, Matt, and, and a wonderful opportunity to reflect on the many challenges that dairy farmers have faced through the years and you know how farmers have really demonstrated resilience to, to come through those. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome, Emma-Louise. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast and my thanks to Matt Ryan for joining me on this week's show. We are fortunate that Matt will return next week to discuss how farmers have adopted new practices in an effort to achieve technical excellence for their farms. From all the Dairy Edge team, we wish you a happy Christmas. Join us again next week for your Dairy Edge.